Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Sure good to see you here tonight. Have a good crowd. We scattered all around the auditorium, but I'm sure that's all right. Delighted for your presence. We're studying Romans chapter 3 tonight, but I'm going to start in a different place. How much of the New Testament is in the Old Testament? So that's a dumb question. The New Testament starts with Matthew, ends in Revelation. No, it doesn't either. New Testament starts in Acts. Ends in Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the Old Testament. Isn't that strange? Not only that, but after Acts begins, it begins a transition period. That's strange too. When Paul came in from his third missionary journey, He was delighted. He went to Jerusalem to give a report. This is in the sixth decade of the first century. He reported how the Gentiles had responded to the gospel and James and the elders at Jerusalem were happy. But then, very strange... They said to him in Acts chapter 21, verse 19, You see, brother, how many myriads, that means thousands, of Jews there are who have believed. That means they were Christians. And they're all zealous for the law. And they proceeded to tell Paul how he should conduct himself. That is strange, isn't it? Not only that, but in the first century, as we're dealing with the New Testament all the way through it, we find the Holy Spirit as an active, miraculous force, guiding men into all truth, influencing men who are baptized to speak in tongues, as in the case of Cornelius, and the about 12 men in Acts chapter 19, and other things that he did directly. As he said to Philip, go near and join yourself to the chariot. Strange, isn't it? No. Just a time when there was a transition period when God was introducing the people to his church. Now, we've studied two books in Romans, two chapters in Romans. They're not easy. Romans is not an easy book. It is not written like many of the other books that we can sort of know what they're talking about all the way through, but we have to really look at Romans. Romans chapter 1. The highlight of Romans is in verse 16 and 17. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is God's power to salvation. Everyone that believes in the Jew first and also the Greek. But then he goes on to change his tune after that and talk about how evil... The Gentiles were. We talked about that last week, of course. That's just 
how it is. The sins that were committed under the law were made right, as right as they could be, with a proper sacrifice for sins. Animal blood offered under the Old Testament. And, hold on to your seat, God forgave their sins. There's a but following that. He forgave their sins temporarily. He sent their sins away. You can read in Leviticus chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. There were sins of the community. And when the community responded, as God said, he said their sins are forgiven them. Sins of a ruler, when he offered the right sacrifice, his sins are forgiven him. The common person, when he offered the right sacrifice, his sins are forgiven him. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul goes into uh, Rome, and he's excited. He's wanted to go to Rome a long time. Goes into Rome and meets with some Jews. And he wants to talk with them, and he talked to them all day long. Chapter 28, verse 25 of Acts. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke righteously through Isaiah and the prophets, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people are waxed dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I heal them. He's talking to these people in Rome who met to listen to him about Jesus, and they refused him by and large. Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. When he said this, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Have you looked at the Day of Atonement lately? Leviticus 16, you probably say, well, I don't read that much. We don't. But in Leviticus 16, there was a goat there. We called it the scapegoat. Bad name. It was the goat of Azazel. And the reason we called it the scapegoat is because we don't know what Azazel means. No translator knows what it means. It's the goat that escaped. One goat had been sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. A bullock had been sacrificed for the priests. The goat for the people. And then another goat was loaded with the sins in the temple or tabernacle or whatever and sent away into the wilderness. You know what repentance, excuse me, you know what remission means? What forgiveness means? It means to send away. Their sins were sent away. They were forgiven. And they were covered up by the grace of God. But they were still there. He remembered their sins. Still there. Even though when the goat was delivered into the wilderness, the people whispered to each other, our sins have been taken into the wilderness. In fact, specifically, they said the goat has borne upon him all the iniquities into the land not inhabited. Forgiven, gone for now. But remembered every year. 
Not a pleasant thought. Romans chapter 1 verse 5 says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name's sake. Obedience to the faith. What in the world does that mean? I thought their obedience was the type of faith it was. That's not what he's talking about. He says, we have obeyed, we have received obedience to the faith. He's talking about the faith. Romans talks about the faith a lot. It's a new system. It's not a system of law. It's a system of faith. And that's specifically what he talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Now let's go to chapter 3. Your note, your notes have most of these scriptures written out. I didn't want to go into a third page, so the last few verses are not written. You'll have to read them in your book. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? What is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because of them were, to them were committed the oracles of God. He said, of course, the Jews were circumcised, set apart for a special reason. If they were not circumcised, they were cut off from God. They were cut out of the plan. But in this case, they were united to him for a reason. The Jews had circumcision, and they had the written word of God. The Gentiles did not have either. The Gentiles had the law of God. They had it in their heart. They didn't have it written in written word that we know of. God communicated with the Gentiles. Look at Jonah over in, over in Nineveh. He didn't want to go there. But God made him go there. They heard God's word. On many other occasions, the Gentiles heard God. On other occasions, they had the law of God in their hearts. And they knew what they ought to be doing. Now look at, uh, look at what's happening here. Verse 3 beginning. For what if some did not believe, some Jews did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? In other words, God is using them. If they don't believe, will that nullify what God is doing? Certainly not. And I want to say this again. I've said it two or three times, but I want to emphasize this. Verse 4. Certainly not, as God forbid, in the King James Version and other versions. But I have a note down here that is certainly not. And I don't mean to get fancy here, but that word that looks like me, genito, is not that. It's me, genoito. Me, genoito. The word G-E-N-O-I-T-O. We get our word generation from that. We get our word, uh, we talk about a congenital deformity. My aunt was uh, born with a birthmark on her face. That was congenitals. And the word genital, as, as a matter of fact, comes from that as well. The word may that looks like me is a negative word. It means not. No, no. This is not to be. It is not to be born. Gnoto, to be born, to be hatched, to come into existence. The idea has the faithfulness of God be made without effect because some did not believe. Not any way it can be. God's effectiveness cannot be negated by any man. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. 
Very simple. God is right. God is always right. God has always been right. Will always be, will be right. Some today, of course, don't think God is right. They think he gave us a book we can't understand. You can take the Bible, make it mean whatever you want to. One person sees it one way and one sees it another way, and it's right for both of them. So what? It's just how I believe it. No, no. It's how God said it. It is not how I believe it. If we believe it wrong, we don't believe what God said. It's just the case. Well, it doesn't matter because God's grace is going to take care of that anyway. No, no. It's not either. That's not what grace is. Grace is a gift of God to help us arrive at truth. Grace is the gift of God to help us be saved as we are drawn to him. God promised Abraham and thee and your seed and your family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He did not promise a national salvation. He did not call Abraham to a national salvation. He did not say these people that are born from you will be saved. That's not the purpose of Israel. Israel's purpose, and I've said this before, I'm going to wear it out though. Israel's purpose was to bring the Messiah, to make a way to bring the Messiah into the world. The Christ. That's their total purpose. Some of the people of Abraham were very wicked. They were very wicked, but God used them. He used them to his purpose. The purpose that he brought them for. God's will. God will be justified in his works. He is not answerable to us. Number five there. Now Paul responds to several anticipated objections by the Jews. This is difficult to understand unless we see him realizing what the Jews are going to say about this. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Okay, because we're righteous, there's, because we're unrighteous, as you say, that will demonstrate God's righteousness because he's going to save us. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And Paul said, I'm talking to you like a man. I'm doing this from a man's standpoint. This is, this is what they're saying. Certainly not. There's Meganoito again. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged a sinner? That's a good question. If I'm helping God through lies, why call me a sinner? Impossible to even think about. I have this outlined in five statements here. Let's look at it. Human argument was, if our unrighteousness demonstrates God's righteousness, is he unjust when he inflicts wrath? Number two, that is putting God in contradiction to himself. God cannot be unjust and just at the same time. He cannot be God and be wrong at the same time. How can it be fair for a man to be blamed for his falsehood when it actually brought glory to God? I'm so mean and God forgave me and God puts up with my meanness and therefore glorify God. Would he ever say to Adolf Hitler, you are a mean guy. Thank you for being so mean because I'm going to forgive you and take you to heaven. Does that sound like God? Absolutely not, of course. Can't be the case. How can God judge the world if he does not inflict wrath? He cannot. God has to inflict wrath. Romans 3.8 Why not say, let us do evil that good may come? 
as we're slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. They're being condemned for this, and it's just that they are. Because God, if God, because of his goodness, cannot judge or condemn the world, why not say, let us do evil that good may result? There are those today who brag about being bad and God forgave them. Even heard one guy talking about, I'm a wicked man. I try to be good, but I'm a wicked man. But my grandmother was a good woman, and she's up there going to bat for me right now because she has enough points that she can loan me her points, and I'll be in heaven as well. How crazy do we get? What then? Are we better than they? Verse 9, not at all. For we previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. He did that in Romans chapter 2, remember. The Jews were happy. They were happy because the Gentiles were so evil spoken of by Paul in Romans 1. But then he turned around and says, you do the same thing they do. Why are you glad about this? They're sinners, you're sinners. Why rejoice in their sins? Good question. The Jews have no advantage whatsoever over the Gentiles for salvation because all have sinned. Now Romans chapter 3 verse 10 begins a statement that Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms. Quotes this from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Both of those chapters begin with the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's verse 1 of 14, verse 1 of 53. But he goes on and said, as it is written, and this is what he, he quotes from there. There's none righteous, no, not one. Let's look at that. At the bottom of that, I think I have some notes for you. None righteous means that there's the means of justification. That is to be legally pronounced righteous. And uh, my, in that bold face type there, my uh, computer made a mistake. It was not I that made a mistake. It was the computer that made a mistake. You know, that's just the way it is. It should be righteous. We understand only through Christ that, uh, that we can be righteous. But they didn't understand that. In 1 Peter 1.12, as Peter talks about the salvation in Christ, he says things which angels desire to look into. The angels didn't understand it. The prophets, Isaiah, David, those men did not understand it. They couldn't understand it. They were at the total mercy of God and they knew it. Without, they were at the total mercy of God without even having a way to escape. Yes, they had the animal sacrifices. They would not, did not pay for sin. They were a relief from sin. They were a relief not for the people, but for God. God said, I can't stand you. I'm going to haul these sins away for a year. I can't stand you. I'll remind you next year, but I'll haul those away again. I can't associate with sin. That was God's story. None seek after God. They hardly knew him. They, Moses, you remember, who was raised by, I started to say Christian parents, not quite, raised by people who loved God as much as they could. When God spoke to him at the burning bush, he said, Who are you? And God used some terminology there that Moses had heard probably from his mama. Uh, he claimed to be Yahweh and uh, he uh, he uh, 
finally convinced Moses he should go back to Israel. It took quite a force, uh, go back to Egypt. It took quite a force to get him to do that. But they were worshiping through priests later on. We accept the faith, thankfully. Through faith, we accept the faith. And our faith includes an active pursuant of God. We believe, we repent, we confess, we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. That's understood. We all understand that, thankfully. They didn't have such a plan. They didn't understand that. They were, you know, we think sometimes that God came to Noah's house and he came to Abraham's house every day and talked with them. Not so. Just a few times in their lives, God did that. And most of the time, never did it to anyone. They were lost, so to speak, unless they had a priest and who was lost too, by and large. They don't have nearly what we have. We're all the sons of God, Galatians 3.26 says, by faith in Christ Jesus, because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's Galatians 3.26 and 27. How many cannot understand that? We can all understand that. It's simple. It's plain. And every once in a while in this assembly, someone will come down here during the invitation song and say, I want to become a part of the body of Christ. Didn't happen in pre-Christian times. Couldn't have happened in pre-Christian times. <clears throat> they might have sought after God, but not in a way that that uh, was proper. They sought after idols, sought after God through idols. They have turned aside. They go to their own way. They're mixed up, confused. They became unprofitable. They do no good. <clears throat> they could not meet God in a way that uh, they needed to, to satisfy their needs. No fear of God before their eyes. There was a time in Israel when God was not even a factor. Every man did what was right in his own sight, and that is a mess. That is a mess. Romans 3, verse 19, beginning. Thank you. Nathan says that, as he read this, he thought maybe Paul was proof texting, going back into the Old Testament, picking scriptures he wanted. But then he saw the continuity of it, <clears throat> and he's viewing these things through the Messiah that was to come. That's a very brief statement. Uh, uh, his was very much uh, more thorough than that, but that's the gist of what he said. Thank you, Nathan. <clears throat> now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What does that say? It says that everybody under the law is guilty before God. How would you feel if you were under the law? Everybody under Moses' law was guilty. They, they didn't have anything to say. They saw God. <clears throat> they were under the law. They were not doing what God wanted them to do perfectly. Their mouth had to be stopped. And all the world, every person in the world became guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. <laughs> the law can only say, you're wrong, not you're justified. The law can never say you're justified. 
And the law doesn't say anything until you're wrong. You drive down the interstate, you see several highway patrolmen. They don't bother you unless you're doing something wrong. And they, they come after you and say, you were speeding. You were driving in the left lane too long. Whatever the case may be. That's what the law does. And you never get stopped by a policeman that says, thank you for driving on the right side of the road and making 64 and a half miles an hour. Anybody ever stopped you like, no, law doesn't do that. It's not what he's out there for. He's out there to catch you doing something wrong. All right. Uh, when the, uh, when the law speaks, <laughs> the mouths of those under the law stopped. They become guilty. Law cannot justify. Law demands, defines sin and pronounces guilt. Look at Romans 7, 7. I like this. I really like this. I saw something this a few years ago when I read it I had never seen before. Paul said, <clears throat> I could not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. I wonder why he didn't say, I could have not known murder unless the law had said thou shalt not murder. He didn't say that. Because he knew murder was wrong. I would not have known thievery unless the law had said thou shalt not steal. No, he didn't say that. Stealing is inherently wrong. I would not have known adultery unless the law had said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. No, adultery is wrong. We know that. But covetousness, it doesn't hurt anybody, we think. Paul said, I wouldn't have known that's wrong if the law had said, You shall not covet. But now I know it's even wrong to want something in the wrong way that's not yours. It's a matter of attitude. It's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of attitude. And Paul said, the law informed me on this. The word justified means incidentally to be declared righteous. It is as if you go into a court of law and you plead not guilty and your case is heard and the judge says case dismissed. That means you're justified. I've heard that defined, and don't stop here, but I've heard it justified as, defined as just if I'd never sinned. There's a better definition for it. It is just as if I had paid for my own sins. I'm clean. I'm legally clean. Have I committed any sins? Yes. Let's look at your record. There's no record here. I'm justified. I'm, I'm legally clean. It's over. What a wonderful thing. Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law is revealed. Paul said, we're going to leave that law alone. We don't need the law. We want to see God's righteousness. Having witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, did you hear that? The righteousness of God we can get through faith in Christ Jesus who can get it to all and on all who believe. Now that belief is not just mental assent. That belief, of course, is, a, is an assent that, uh, in which we find ourselves obeying what God told us to do. Not of merit, 
just of willingness to obey him. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Well, what about Paul? Yeah, he'd sinned. What about David? He'd sinned. Peter, he'd sinned. You can't name anybody who didn't accept Jesus Christ. He never sinned. And he could have died with an arrow and gone straight back to his father in heaven. No problem. But he went to the cross because we couldn't do that. And he sacrificed himself or God sacrificed him for us. Crucified him, cut him off from himself because we don't have to be cut off. How wonderful it is. Romans 3.24. One of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, he was set forth as a propitiation this word means another thing in First John 2, 2, uh, that he is a propitiation there. This word here means mercy seat over there in John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2. I think I have it in your notes here. It means a sin offering. And uh, But here, the mercy seat. The difference in the mercy seat and the sin offering? Let's go into the temple, tabernacle, whatever. Let's go into the most holy place and look at the Ark of the Covenant. Sitting there. It has a lid on it. It has cherubim on either end of it. It's the place where the high priest went once a year. Day of atonement. And sprinkled blood. To cleanse it. To cleanse the temple. To take those sins. Put it on that scapegoat's head. And take it into the wilderness. The mercy seat is God's throne. It's the place where forgiveness takes place. It was in the Old Testament. It is in the New. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. But that mercy seat in the Old Testament moved sin out for a year. Came right back in. Moved in another sins out for a year. God kept remembering. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. He moved sin out permanently. It doesn't come back. Or we might do it again. Doesn't mean that we're safe if we're going to rebel against God. But the idea I'm trying to make is that sin that has moved out is gone. G-O-N-E. It's God paid for. It's gone. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. Wow. By his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. 
You know what it means to pass, to overlook sin? To pass over sin means just what it says. God could stand there in the Old Testament and he could look over those sins and see the cross. Paul taught that on Mars Hill. Acts 19, 17, verse 30. That God overlooked the sins, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, and, uh, and then the last part of this, I love it. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The argument is that God can't be just and justifier at the same time. Because he said that those who sin will die. We are all sinners, so all of us have to die. We can't be saved. No, we have to die. We can be resurrected in Christ. The old man is buried in baptism. And a new creature is raised. And God has justified us. He is the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And he is still just. Because we were crucified with Christ. And we still live because Christ lives in us. What a powerful, powerful lesson that we have. Wonderful. Justified through the redemption, the deliverance or committal, acquittal that is in Christ. Jesus Christ is the propitiation, mercy seat through his blood. He is the propitiation, the sin offering for our sins. Where's boasting then? Oh, you know I'm a good guy. God's a good person. I'm a good person. Not perfect, but he's going to save me. I don't have to worry about it. I can have fun on Saturday night. No problem with that. Because of God's mercy and his grace. No, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. We can't be saved by our own goodness. The little bit we have. And then waste it on our badness. Can't be. Whereas boasting then is excluded by what law of works. We uh, commit a little sin. You know, most of us don't commit big sins. We commit little sins. And little sins, are, we make up for them real easy. We just do a lot of good things, and we make up for our little sins. Let me ask you a question. Suppose you're stopped for speeding. You're going 11 miles an hour over the speed limit. The highway patrolman says, I'd give you 10, but you went 11. I'm going to have to give you, oh, sir, you don't understand. I promise you for the next 30 days, and I do drive a lot, I'm going to drive 50 miles an hour for the next 30 days. Think how much time I'm going to spend at 50 miles an hour to make up for this 11 miles an hour I went over. He'd probably call men in the little white coat. You just don't do that. You don't make up for that. Impossible. Where's boasting then? We don't have any. By what law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude 
that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. No deed of the law is going to cause you to be justified. It excludes boasting. It excludes uh, anybody that's less than perfect. And all of us are. Man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? I don't like that because I'm a Jew. And everybody knows the Gentiles are very wicked. But we are Abraham's seed. We are circumcised. We have all the benefits. No, you have no benefits in that realm. Jesus Christ has come into the world. He came in through the nation of Abraham. And when he came in, my friend, and this is a volatile statement I'm about to make, when he came in, you are history. I feel so sad today that so many preachers are preaching that God is working on Israel, the nation, and fulfilling all his promises through them so that Jesus can come back and reign in the temple they're going to rebuild in Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem one time. But when the Jews start building that temple in that spot again, I'm going over there to see it. Because there's going to be a great war. There is a building sitting there that I went up to see that building. I was told by the guy at the foot of the hill, it is in Palestinian territory. He looked in my briefcase. He said, do not get this book out when you're up there. Don't put your head in it and pray. I had a Bible in there. If you do, we're going to arrest you. Well, I don't pray with my face in the Bible. I pray with my face bowed. And I got in front of that temple up there and bowed my head and talked to God. And I didn't get arrested. But when they start to when the Christians, so-called, start to tear down that temple over there and build that new temple for Jesus Christ, I'm going over there and watch them. I'm going to watch them. It won't be done. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there's one God who will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Just not fair. Circumcised people are the chosen people. No, they're not. They were chosen for a purpose. And that was revoked. Pentecost finished. Pentecost. And they became just like us. Except they were more rebellious than we are. Do then make do then do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, that was not easy. Anybody have any comments or questions? Yes.
In what way does the faith in Jesus establish the law? Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, it's not necessary to talk about the law of Moses. Uh, through faith in their faith is a law. System of faith is a system of law. But it's not, we don't depend on it for our salvation. But Jesus Christ, when he came, gave a new system of faith, which included law. We have laws that we live by. Uh, we can't commit adultery. We can't steal. We can't kill, etc. Not because the Old Testament said we couldn't, but because Jesus says we can't. That's my understanding of it, Nathan. Thank you for the question. Anybody else? Well, you're very patient. I appreciate that. I appreciate your uh, listening to the class. Uh, I have two co-teachers in here. I haven't announced those, but one is Lemar Elam and the other is uh, John uh, Collier. You call him Tom, I guess. And I will be missing some this quarter, but not a whole lot. I see some Wednesday nights I'll have to be gone, but you'll have a teacher. So don't worry about it. We'll get into chapter four next week. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for taking us through the book of Romans and helping us to understand some of the complex things that are there that we might appreciate more the sacrifice of Christ and deeply enjoy our faith. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our eldership. Thank you for our teachers. Bless us as we live for you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.